Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Dawn Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly abundantly and overflowing joy. Tonight, I want to conclude a series titled Return of the Fear of the Lord. This is part three, and we have been talking about the fear of the Lord the last two weeks. Now, I want you to remember that the fear of the Lord means to have a deep respect and reverential awe of the Lord. It doesn't mean being frightened or afraid or scared of God. The fear of God includes, but is not limited to, respecting and reverencing him, for we are told to tremble at his presence. Holy fear gives God the place of glory, honor, reverence, thanksgiving, praise, and preeminence that he deserves. We want to esteem his desires over our own. We want to hate what God hates, and we want to love what God loves. So if you fear God, you will serve him, says Bible teacher John Bevere. And I've been mentioning John Bevere uh, the last two weeks because I consider him to be one of the best Bible teachers we have today. He goes on to say, if you fear man, you will serve man. We must choose. We have to make a decision. Are we going to fear man and live out of that realm or are we going to fear God? The fear of man brings a snare. It says that in Proverbs. And fearing man tricks and traps us. It really does. So if you have that issue going on in your life where you have fear of man, you need to talk to someone about that. You need to counsel with someone because it's unhealthy, unholy, and it will take you down a very bad road. And you will not have success in your life because you're allowing the fear of man to rule your life. A good example of the fear of man is when a pastor knows he or she should address a serious issue in the church, but instead they avoid it for fear of upsetting people in the congregation with the potential that they might leave and You know, that's true. If you make people upset enough about an issue, if you ruffle their feathers, they might leave. And of course, we know what that means. There is uh, a lack of money. Money goes out the door. When the people go out the door, the money goes out the door. So I'm just going to be really frank with you. If you happen to be a pastor listening This is a very dangerous thing to be involved in. It's very dangerous for you as a pastor, and it's very unhealthy for the congregation. And really what it says is that the pastor has more fear of man than fear of the Lord. And I can tell you, in the last 20-some years that I've been serving the Lord, I have seen this more than I wished. So um, to fear man, really, according to John Bevere, 
To fear man is to stand in alarm, anxiety, awe, dread, suspicion, or cowering before mortal men. And those entrapped by this type of fear will live on the run, hiding from harm or reproach, and constantly avoiding rejection and confrontation. And I can tell you that if you are a pastor that does not like confrontation, you should not be a pastor (laughs) because you are going to come up against stuff all the time. And there are pastors that avoid confrontation at all costs because of fear of the man, of the person. So it's much easier to avoid the topic, avoid the subject, sweep it right under that rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. So let's take the topic of abortion. Most pastors avoid that topic like it was the plague. There's a local pastor I know of that is outrageously against saving the lives of innocent babies. How can that be? Well, I could answer that question, but I'm not going to answer it on the radio. Pastors who have the fear of man become so busy safeguarding themselves that soon they are ineffective in their service for God. That is absolutely true. It's absolutely true. So this is a very unhealthy thing to have, is to have the fear of man, which, like Proverbs says, it brings a snare. It will, it will trap you. Afraid of what man can do uh, when you're operating in that kind of thing, then what you're really saying, you're denying God what he deserves because you're fearing man more than you're fearing God. Now, Solomon was the wisest man to ever live on the planet, and he wrote the book of Proverbs. Truly, Proverbs is a dearth of wisdom and knowledge for believers to live by. It's a true how-to manual for living the Christian life with grace, truth, love, success. Yeah, so if you haven't spent any time in the book of Proverbs, then you aren't really going to know how to deal with people on an everyday basis. Some of you are business people. You have employees, and you know you need to know how to deal with them effectively, biblically, if you're a Christian. Some of you, um, you know, are just in situations or family situations where, you know, it gets knee-deep and you don't really know how to navigate. And I can tell you that the book of Proverbs will always help us know how to navigate troubled waters. Troubled waters come, unfortunately, more frequently than we would like. And so how do you navigate those troubled waters? Well, you go to the book of Proverbs. You start studying and meditating on the book of Proverbs. And I assure you that you will find a scripture that will precisely 
tell you what to do. I mean, it's like, wow, out of nowhere comes this scripture and you say to yourself, how could God know that's exactly what I need to do? Well, because he's God and we're not. But truly, get excited about the book of Proverbs because it's really going to help you know how to live with people. It's going to help you to know how to deal with people. It's going to help you to know how to manage situations. Many times they get difficult. And so I really encourage you to begin to meditate on the book of Proverbs. Now, Solomon, this great wise man, the wisest man on the planet, in his later years, he kind of went awry. He married foreign women, which was a no-no. And by marrying other women, uh, he began to serve their gods. And his heart for the Lord really took a backseat. I mean, you know, the fear of the Lord that he talks about throughout the book of Proverbs, mm, he lost that fear of the Lord. But at the end of his life, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he examines life walking not in the fear of the Lord, and he called it vanity. And he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But we want to listen to what Solomon says at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to take a moment to read chapters 11 and 12. And Solomon, you know, he just, he just understands it all. I mean, God just gave him that kind of wisdom. So he, he was able to really look at life look at his own life and the mistakes he made and just look at everything from the scope of, hmm, this is, this is what we need to do. And, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, he said. And that's true. Even today, we're 2,000 years later or more. Solomon lived mm, probably 3,500 years ago, roughly. So there's nothing new under the sun. Things that happen today are the same as things that happened then. And that's why, that's why you can read the book of Proverbs written that long ago and still have that wisdom, knowledge, and understanding to know how to deal with people and problems and situations today. That's just how it works. So... I'm going to read from Ecclesiastes, which Solon also wrote, chapters 11 and 12. So just bear with me. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. And he says, uh, starting with verse 1, he says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. 
he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. And I, I just want to stop there because I thought, oh my goodness, saying when he says we don't know the way the wind blows I mean we don't know the way of the wind where it's gonna where it's gonna go I mean one minute it can be blowing west to east the next minute blowing north to south but then he says this this I think this is so cool he says how do we you know we don't even know how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. We don't, we have no understanding how those bones grow in that baby. We have no clue. I don't care how smart you are. And so he says, so you don't know the works of God. And we don't. We don't know how God makes all that happen. And then he says, in the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. I mean, the wisdom is amazing. Verse 7, he says, Truly the light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. And I would say, Amen, Amen, because I love the light of the day. And I love, um, and because of that, I have lots of windows in my home because I like light coming in my home. He says, but if a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. And I think you know, what he's saying is children should be taught to have a fear of the Lord from a very, very young age. Children should be taught about the Lord and God from an early age so that they begin to understand things about the Lord. Because as children grow into um, teenagers, all of us know what that that can bring because we've all been there and so you know we want to you know by the time you're a young teenager and I'm I'm assuming even before that in these days and this culture you know there are friends who are wooing you to do things that you probably would not do but they're an influence in your life and so they're a bad influence, they're an evil influence. And so they may cause you to do things that you wish you hadn't done. 
as a young person. So he's just saying, you know, if, if God's in your life, it's going to remove sorrow from your heart. And you're not going to have regret. Chapter 12, remember now your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. And isn't that the truth? I mean, the longer we live, the more the difficult days come. I mean, as a, as a young person, as youth, a teenager, you know, um, I mean, what, what difficulties do people have? I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of, um, of course, I, you know, I'm thinking back of my growing up. I can't, you know, this culture of young people, it may be a whole different thing. He says, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. While the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are not darkened and the clouds do not return after the rain. In the, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down. When the grinders cease because they are few. And those that look through the windows grow dim. And when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low. When one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. Also, they are afraid of height and of terrors in the way. When the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper is a burden, and desire fails. For man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. He says, remember your creator before the silver, silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. So I'm not done yet, but I want to say there that Solomon is trying to tell us that if we can get a grip on the things of God when we're young, then then as we grow older, it's not as difficult. Because he says, remember your creator before. Uh, what? The silver, silver cord is loose, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, the wheel broke. I mean, that's all the calamities of life. I mean, and we all go through that. Then he says, uh, he concludes the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh." 
let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And this is the gist, the whole entire gist of the book of Ecclesiastes. You see, Solomon comes to the place after all the wealth, right? Richest man in the world, way richer than Bezos and Gates and uh, all these fellas. And certainly the wisest. Unfortunately, those kinds of things tend to draw us humans away from the things of God because we become reliant on the wealth and the, you know, the luxury. And so then, you know, women came into his life and boy, that changed everything. So now as he's reflecting 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes, and he has this reflection. This is the end. Here's what he says. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. And this is it. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or or evil. Mm, That should give us pause because God, we're going to stand before him one day. Every human being will stand before him. (laughs) Nobody gets to skip this part. We're going to stand before him and every work that we have been involved in And every secret thing, whether good or evil, is going to be brought before him. You can't hide. You know, if you are involved in something or doing something or thinking something that really is an abomination to the Lord, and there's a long list of those, it's not like you you can't hide that from God. It's, you know, he knows our thoughts, right? He says in Psalm 139, I know your thoughts are far off. (laughs) So he knows everything we're thinking. Obviously, he sees it all because he says, I see it all. So he knows everything that we're doing can't hide a daggone thing from the Lord. So many people think they are hiding this from God, this or that or whatever. You can't hide anything from him. So the conclusion of the whole matter is, according to Solomon, fear God, reverence him, have deep respect for God, and keep his commandments. There's, you know, people say, well, you know, the Ten Commandments. Yes, we follow those Ten Commandments, but there's a whole lot more commandments in the New Testament then those 10 from Moses, really, come on, read your Bible. There's lots of commandments in the New Testament. So we have to keep his commandments. We can't say, John wrote in 1 John, he said, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. It doesn't work. You're a liar. So you see, we have to have such a fear of God that we want to keep his commandments. We do everything we can possible 
to keep his commandments. Are we perfect? No, we are not. But we are trying our best. We are giving it our best. We are doing everything we can, possibly, living our lives as best we can with the Holy Spirit giving us guidance and prudence. And, you know, we, we surrender every morning to Holy Spirit and say, hey, this is your day. <laughs> Come on. Lead me, guide me, teach me, strengthen me, help me. And so we do. And so goes the day. And we do our best to fear God and keep his commandments. And, you know, it's an awesome thing to serve God. And, of course, the more we reverence him and have this deep respect, the more glory of the Lord we will carry. And that's like a whole nother subject because we want to we want to walk in this fear of the Lord, which allows us and it prepares us. It prepares us to carry his glory. And we, are, we were meant to carry his glory. Moses had a taste of the glory. His face, the Bible says, it shined so bright that the people had to cover their face. I mean, it was, he, he was radiant. We are to be radiant. We are to be light carriers, glory carriers of the glory and the light of the gospel. And the only way we can do that is if we have this very serious fear of the Lord. You'll never be able to carry the glory without having the fear of the Lord. And it's necessary to carry the glory because we want people to see something different about us, that we, we, we're not like the world. We're carrying the awesome reverential glory of God in us as we go about our day, as we go out into the public every day. And we want them to see that light because our light, what, what that does is our light brings light into the darkness of their life. All of a sudden, they realize, ooh, ooh. See, you don't even have to point out sin. You don't have to point out people's sin. They know. They're, they're not clueless. But your light, the reflection of the light of God in you, does something to the darkness in them. And they will realize and recognize they no longer want to walk in that darkness. So... I hope you enjoyed this three-week message on the fear of the Lord. I certainly did. It encouraged me. I needed it. I don't know about you. I hope you needed it. I certainly needed it. And it's, um, it's just good to be challenged by the things of God. Amen. Well, this is Don Noble. You can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. You can download the iHeartRadio app, Pure Heart Ministries. And um, listen to the message 24-7. Of course, I always ask and plead and beg for people to send me an email and let me know what they think of the message and what, what's going on here with Pure Heart Ministries. So you can email me at dawn at pureheart.today, all lowercase letters, D-A-W-N, at pureheart.today. 
today. And of course, I'm tickled pink about those who are praying for this ministry. It's very important to have your prayers. And I would hope that you would help to support this ministry. You can send a check to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. Well, this is Don Noble. I look forward to being with you again next week. And I leave you by saying shalom, shalom, peace be unto you.